Last week, we started a series of two messages on opening our lives to people in need. It's a critical thrust for us. It's something that has to stay front and center in our lives. And if you were here last week, I think you'll probably remember we got a pounding. We got a severe rebuke from prophet Isaiah. Uh, We're going to be a little friendlier today. Um, We're not going to let Isaiah talk to us, but we're going to hear from one another. What does it look like to have our lives open to those in need? And we're going to do some of that today, investigating what it might look like to have our lives open um, to those who are in need. But first, we need to hear from Jesus. And we need to hear, and this is another way of pounding the pound, I'm warning you in advance, but we need to hear how critically important this is for you and I. So I, I want us to read responsively this morning from Matthew chapter 25, you're going to play the part of those who are in Jesus' mind listening to him. He's, all of this is Jesus talking, but I'll be reading narration in Jesus, and you'll be reading the response part. And I, I want us to just hear what's at stake in this business of opening our lives to people in need. So this is a reading from Matthew chapter 25. This is a teaching, by the way, that comes late in Jesus' life when he's riveted on those things that are most important spiritually. So Matthew 25, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 31, and it will be on the screen for you. You will read the bold print, and I'm going to read the light print. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So Jesus is talking in analogies here, but he's also talking about the very end of time, the summation of all things when it's all going to be wrapped up. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. By what standard? By what standard will Jesus discriminate? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, he said to those on his right. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, we did to see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Now, again, this is Jesus saying all of this, and I want you to notice how Jesus is obviously an effective communicator. Notice what he does here, how insistent he wants to be that we get this. I mean, Jesus could have said, as he's filling out the story, imagine he's speaking to a group of us, he could have said, Lord, when did we do this? But he wants to make sure that we get it. When did we feed you? When did we 
clothe you? When did we see you sick and help you? When did we see you in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, sorry you guys, you just chose to be, sit here this morning. Depart from me. <laughs> you are cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And now, let's go old school, and out of reverence for God's word, let's stand together as you respond. Then they will answer. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, in prison, and did not help you? In case you missed it the first time around, don't miss it this time. And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life.
last week we talked about opening our lives to people in need. But we also know that we're not saved by works alone. And the reason we are able to pour out love is because God first poured his love into us. And when we don't share that love, it acts as a dam. So as God blesses us, we in turn have the ability to bless others. And it's not possible if he weren't good first, and he longs to be good to us. So we're going to sing a song about, just a reminder to us that the reason we can be good at all, the reason that we can spread love at all is because he's good to us. Unexplained 
to people in need, keeping our heart and our mind and our eyes open to people in need, keeping ourselves soft to people in need. Uh, We said that that was a call on our lives. It's the reason why God invests in us and blesses us. We said it had to be an active thing. We have to pursue opening our lives to people in need. We have to do it. We have to step in to opening our lives to people in need. We don't just passively accept need. If we live that way, our lives will overwhelm us. We'll miss need when it crosses our path. So opening our lives to people in need, we said, had to be an activity in our lives. It has to be something that we're thinking about, we're praying about, we're pursuing We said that because, first of all, it's God's call on our lives to be people whose lives are open to people in need. That's God's call on our lives. We heard it last week from Isaiah. We could preach that. We could talk about that. We could have a conversation about that from almost every page in the Bible. Secondly, we said we have to make it an active part of our lives to open our lives to people in need because we need it. It's how we grow. God blesses us, we said, so that we can be a blessing to others. And when we block that, when we inhibit that, I honestly believe we inhibit God's blessing on us. We get filled up with his blessing, and it becomes all about us, and the blessing stops. His activity in our lives stops if we don't give it away. So we have to actively pursue opening our lives to people in need. Now, those of you who have children that live at home, this is especially true for you. Circumstances will conspire to take over your life, and it will be all about you and your schedule and your children's schedule if you don't actively do things to keep your heart and your mind open to people in need. All right, so this morning, I just want you to hear some stories about that. I want you to hear some people who have opened their lives to people in need, opened their heart to people in need. This could have been a lot of you. Thank you, Gateway. But I'm hoping that this will be, oh, and maybe even at points inspiring as we see and hear what it looks like, what it looks like to have our lives and our heart open to people in need. Marissa, good morning. Okay, this is Marissa Bell. We had to go to the back and grab Marissa, by the way, because every fifth Sunday, 
our teenagers take over Kids Town. And they do Kids Town for us. And Marissa spearheaded that. A group of them came to Aaron a year ago or a little longer than that, something like that, and said, hey, Miss Aaron, how about would you mind if we went in the back and did Kids Town once in a while? And we'll do everything. We'll make up the lesson and we'll go in and present it and we'll just try to find an adult to come back and make sure we don't beat kids up or anything and we'll, we'll do the whole time ourselves. And Aaron said, well, sure. And so I think they put a lesson together and went back and killed it, by the way. I think that first lesson was about obeying parents or something like that. You little brown noser. So anyway, (laughs) Marissa, you know I've got you up here. So what is it that you're in the process of trying to put together right now? You and a good friend and others, what are you trying to put together? So we're hoping that as a high school group, we're going to go out to D.C., and hand out bags of necessity stuff to homeless people. So what kind of necessities? We have like toothpaste and there's going to be a Bible and a bunch of food stuff. And it's all going to be in a drawstring backpack that they can carry around with them and keep stuff in. How are you making all this happen? I know your dad, he can't afford this. So how are you? Um, So we've done a lot of fundraising. We had a bake sale a while ago. Here? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. And we've been doing work for people to get money. So we have all the money raised that we're going to use to go out the first time. So where did this idea come from, Marissa? Um, it was kind of a spur of the moment idea that kind of expanded. My friend and I were just kind of talking about stuff and then it was just like, well, what if we actually did it? And so we went and asked our youth leaders and they're like, "Sure." So We did it. So, Marissa, why? Well, part of it is that our youth group is really amazing. We're a bunch of kids who could totally change the world, like, today. And I don't think all of us realize that yet. I think a lot of us are still stuck in the idea that we're kids, what can we do? But we can change the world. So once again, I know your parents. How do you explain this, Marissa? That's awesome. Thank you. So there have been some challenges. What have the challenges been? It's really hard to schedule a date that people are available. (laughs) Welcome to Northern Virginia, right? Yeah. And uh, raising the money at points. Yeah, because our original goal was to do like 121 bags, and then we decided to cut it back to 50. So we didn't end up doing quite as ambitious of a goal as we had, but it's still going to be Awesome. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Thank you very much, Marissa. You can leave if you need to, to go back and smack the kids around. That'll be great. (laughs) Some of us, Kevin, have heard from you before and your idea. Those who haven't, what is it you're thinking of doing? What's happening, Kevin? My big thing is I'm trying to plant fish farms in impoverished communities and hand the farm over to the community so they can work their own way out of poverty instead of us just giving them things. So first of all, let's back up a little bit. How in the world do you know what in the world you're doing? So how did the interest remotely happen for you? I've been passionate about fish and pets my entire life. I've worked in pet shops, managed them. And so when I was in college, I majored in aquaculture. 
and then on. He majored in aquaculture. Did you get that? So those of you who want to call Kevin Aquaman, go ahead. It's very appropriate. Okay, so. So then we were on a mission trip one year. Um, I like that, by the way, Aquaman. I like that. <laughs> All right, go ahead. And while we were on our mission trip, we so ran you're in the mission trip to the DR. Yeah, yeah. The mission trip in the Dominican Republic. We ran across a group from I think it was YWAM that were there, and they were doing the idea that I have, planting fish farms in communities. Had you had that thought before you saw them trying to do this down there? No, yeah. I was just there helping Ina with summer camp. Okay. At the time, I was just having a good time in a tropical island. <laughs> <laughs> but those of you who I encouraged to go on short-term mission trips. Ignore this guy. So anyway, go ahead. So while we were down there, we met these people, and they were planting fish farms, except neither of them knew a thing about farming or fish. <laughs> so I volunteered to stay back a day or two and help them out. I didn't help them that much, but they helped me a lot in determining a plan and ultimately changing the trajectory of where my goals were. Awesome. Meaning... I mean, this vision came out of that. This, the, the idea of doing this came out of that. Right. This whole thing came out of that, and I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for a couple of Canadians who didn't know anything about fish. <laughs> so thank you, Canadians, who clearly are not Aquaman. What have been the challenges for you? A lot of the challenges have been motivation and fundraising. But last October, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and I put it on a back burner. That's kind of a lie. I didn't really put it on a back burner. I took it off the stove. And so now I need to get that revamped up again. And right now, it's kind of hard. Can I say this? I didn't tell you this in advance. But it's kind of hard to see how we get from here to there. Yes. And that's often the way it is, right? Part of that is a reminder to us. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? You're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. You can be dismissed, Kevin. <laughs> Part of that is a reminder when we step into people's need, it's difficult. It's messy. Our needs are messy. And when people come help us, they get a little messy. And when we step into the lives of people in need, it gets a little difficult and messy. And that's the place that we're called. And honestly, sometimes when we're in it, we're thinking, oh, my gosh. And then in retrospect, we realize that's where I felt the most alive. Matthew 25, 34 through 46, in case we didn't get it the first time. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Okay, Jordan, come on up. This kind of activity, opening our lives to people in need, it doesn't have to look, by the way, like going on a mission trip or going down to D.C. and doing some fundraising and creating some bags with food and necessities and it. it doesn't have to look like trying to figure out how to build something that will resource the homeless and the most under-resourced. It can look like starting a business. So, Jordan? Yeah, Dad? 
I'm really nervous. I'm not used to being on stage. <laughs> Pretty proud of you, bud. So what are you doing? By the way, this is bringing me back to the interrogations I got when I got home late after my curfew. <laughs> a little nervous. As it should. So what is it that you're doing? What are you up to? So me and, and two friends have started a business called Suma. That's two friends and I. <laughs> is this... <laughs> Is this going to be the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Go go ahead. So Suma offers meal delivery kits. So wait, I'm sorry. I interrupted that. You you and two friends are starting this business Mm -hmm. called what? Suma. Suma, okay. S-O-O-M-A. I got a little shameless plug here. We offer meal delivery kits, which if you know the model of like Blue Apron or HelloFresh or Plated, there are several of these companies now, but it's in that same vein, but with a twist. Okay. How's it going at this point? I see your nifty little bag. Yeah, yeah. So we launched about a month ago, and it's tough. It's really hard. I mean, it's, it's going well. There's a lot of uh, things to be excited about. I remember about two or three weeks in, uh, we had only had friends through word of mouth ordering, and we got our first order from someone that none of us knew. And all the co-founders were calling each other, do you know Chris Ferguson? I was like, no, I don't know Chris Ferguson. We're like, nobody knows Chris Ferguson. <laughs> finally got someone new but it's been great we've had incredible feedback and response and we've had a lot of repeat customers which is a good sign it's one thing for a friend to say yeah i'll I'll give it a try but for them to come back and keep trying has has been really encouraging so how does this connect with our topic this morning so the reason we got into this from the very beginning was we noticed a need in dc there's uh, a huge food desert in D.C., which basically means... I had never heard this term before. Yeah, food desert. desert. It's a large area where people don't have easy access to affordable, healthy food. And that can even mean a grocery store. But per capita, there is not a lot of grocery stores in southeast D.C. So it's not uncommon for someone who wants to go to the store to buy food to cook to have to hop on the bus and two or three hours later get back carrying all their groceries by hand. Or go to 7-Eleven and get a Hot Pocket. Which is the more common it's thing. It's, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that a normal meal is a bag of chips and a soda. So we recognize this need and we saw this model that some of these meal delivery kit companies have. And if you don't know what they do, they basically deliver you a box each week that has all the ingredients perfectly portioned out for a meal and then the recipe for it. And we love this model to reach people that don't have easy access to healthy food. The one problem is it's too expensive. The price point for those things is like $10. $10 per serving. Okay. And they kind of cater towards what we like to call the date night crowd, where it's two servings or four servings, and it's $10 each, which is expensive for anyone, especially if you're only spending 2 to $3 or a bag of chips and a soda. So we found some ways to get that price down. And so now we're delivering meals, including delivery costs. We can get our servings to about 4 or $5. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, this is not because... Marissa or Kevin or clearly not Jordan are any better than the rest of us. 
It's not because they're better people. It's not even because they have a better idea. That's a really good idea, but it's not because of that. This is what the life of Jesus looks like. It looks like us opening our lives to people in need. Okay, again, this doesn't have to look like going somewhere to a third world country. It doesn't even have to look like delivering a meal bag or incredibly creatively effectively delivering a meal, full meal, to an under-resourced family. We have resources that are really next to us, really close to us, that are available to be offered to people in need. And it looks like us using those resources to meet need. So Bill and Lisa Russell. Bill, can you tee this up by reading 1 John 3, 16 through 18, if you would? 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So the two of you, the Russells, have offered a variety of your resources to a variety of people. Thank you. But in particular, you've opened your home to folks and had uh, folks uh, live with you for, in some cases, an extended period of time. So what does that look like? What happened? How did this happen? And, and what did that look like? We've heard about different people who, for different reasons, needed a place to live. Years ago, we'd just been married for three years, and there was a single mom um, who had a three-year-old, and she no longer wanted to live with her boyfriend, and so my heart kind of went out to her, and we invited her to live with us at the time, and we just had a townhouse then. More recently, we've just heard about different people or families who needed a place to stay you know, possibly for four months to even longer, and we've opened our Possibly for four months mm -hmm. to even longer. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so in our she house, is a uh... saint, not only because <laughs> she lives with Bill, but because of this. <laughs> um, in our house, the room we have available is a bedroom on the main floor. So it's, you know, right there next to the living room and the kitchen. So they're, you know, right there in the middle of everything happening. So we kind of invite them to be a part really. Well, I was going to say, Lisa, so how do you make this work? The specifics, they live on a bedroom on your main floor. Mm -hmm. Is there a bathroom available to there them? Is. Okay. Mm -hmm. With a Just shower and it's a full bath. bath. Yeah. Okay. And so they're there and it's on the main floor. So they're part of your life mm -hmm. for four months or longer. They're part of your life. <laughs> yeah. Four months is actually the shortest anyone has stayed with us, I think, <laughs> that we didn't consider it just a, uh, hi, we're staying for a couple of days. Four months is the shortest anyone has stayed with you. I think so. Oh, yeah, I, think so. Yeah, I think on average it's been at least a year, right? Or maybe, no, uh, maybe, maybe six months average. Maybe six months. So what have been the challenges in this effort? A couple more recently, some know that Josh has stayed with us. He stayed with us for a while, and he said it was okay to say some of these things. Probably like it would be hard to get any teenage or 20-something boy to clean the bathroom. <laughs> um, that was kind of hard. 
Also, he stayed up late. Of course, at the time, he was dating Sharice and engaged to Sharice, so he would get home late, and our kids would just want to stay up and wait for Josh to get home. So they were just staying up later and later and later. <laughs> because Josh was just that cool, for the record. <laughs> I've got a challenge I want to throw in. Now. Yeah. One of the things that I think was challenging for, for me is realizing that, of course, you have to set up expectations whenever somebody comes in. What kind of things, Bill? It's funny. I mean, there's standard expectations like, you know, you got to figure out who's going to do laundry on what day. And then if, if somebody is going to be home or not home for dinner, I mean, you've got to be able to communicate. But there's also expectations. These people are staying with you for four months or longer, and they're right. eating dinner with you regularly. Sometimes. Josh, we saw him, but it was only from like 11.30 <laughs> at night till 2 in the morning. So. But other people do actually eat uh, with okay. us. But, you know, some of the expectations are just not ones you think of. Like we had one family that had a teenage boy with an airsoft gun, and I would have never thought that I should have laid out an expectation that you don't shoot the airsoft gun at the walls. After they had moved out and I went into his room and saw holes in all the drywall places, I realized, oh, I guess that is an expectation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it just feels like for that long of a time, honestly, do you feel like you need space ever? Did you set up space boundaries? You know, we need you to be out Monday and Tuesday nights or for the next seven weeks or, you know, or is it just, it feels comfortable for the Russells inviting them into your family and your life and overall? I think it's felt comfortable for both of us. And I feel like if we needed that space, we would, like maybe Bill and I would take the time to get away for a date night or a weekend away. Okay. I think one of the things that's interesting is I think the, it really depends on your mindset. If you view the person coming in as um, imposing, then you need that space. But if you flip your mindset from the beginning to say, I'm not viewing them as guests, we're viewing them as family from the start. And it's a really, really important mind shift because how often do you go, man, I just need, and it's true, sometimes we need space even from our own family. but. From family, you say, oh, they're family. They're going to be here. And actually, I love what Tessa said with the... Uh, Tessa's your oldest daughter. Yeah. Your, your daughter and your oldest. Tessa, Tessa is our daughter. You know, one of the things that she said when she was asking us to consider bringing somebody into our home, uh, or it came up in a conversation with a group or something, she goes, it's just what our family does. That was awesome because that told me that, you know, they have kind of just fully embraced this idea of being open to whoever needs it. Those of you who have kids, think about that, right? It's just what our family does. Okay, so what have been the rewards? <laughs> Is that harder or? <laughs> well, I'll go back to Josh, and Josh just brought a lot of joy into our home that we're really thankful for. Also, Joy is another word for goofiness, right? Is that how this... <laughs> he brought that too, but I don't think that was the story. Joy, just joy and <laughs> laughter. Um, he was, he's a lot of fun to be around. Also, seeing his relationship with Sharice grow from just, you know, hanging out to then dating and being engaged and to finally getting married, I feel like their relationship was a really good example for our kids to see. You were going to add, Bill? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's been neat for me is, and I'm, I'm sure part of this is just the mindset of the whole family, but every time somebody has stayed with us, they have become extended family. And 
it's just cool to see that circle grow and grow and the relationships that you can build with those people when they're in your home day in and day out for months at a time. You just build a relationship that you can't build any other way. Thank you, Russell. Sometimes the need is uh, the need that, that God is pressing on us. Sometimes the need is immediate and it's circumstantial. It's not an ongoing need. It's not a systemic need like poverty. Sometimes it's just a need that pops up. It's right in front of us and God asks us to meet it. But we don't see that kind of need unless our lives are open, unless our hearts and our minds are, op are open. Of course, we see our own needs and we see the needs of our children and maybe our closest family, but Jesus pushes us, if we're tracking with Christ, he pushes us decidedly beyond that narrow scope. He pushes us to the least of these and to the people who are in the toughest immediate spots at times. So speaking of tough immediate spots, Katerina uh, Gateway, this is Katerina Kuran, and this is Dave and Crystal. And Dave and Crystal are two of our small group leaders here at Gateway. Katerina has been coming to Gateway for a while. Katerina, you grew up in Germany? This is correct. Yeah, yeah okay. So you've been in the United States how long? Uh, we'll be nine years in August. Okay. So you recently just got in a really desperate physical pickle. What happened to you recently? Well, I got very sick um, within like one week with a very bad headache and no other problems. You also have a daughter. You have a yes, young... three-year-old. Three-year-old, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I was not able to do anything in regards to... I wasn't able to think about, okay, I need to go to the doctor. I need to call someone for help. I couldn't remember any names I could call on my phone. All the names that I was reading on my um, contacts that didn't mean anything to me. I'm um, kidding. Yeah. So do you now, have you recovered enough, you can remember that period? No. No, no. okay. <laughs> Somehow, luckily, I, I remembered Crystal's name when I saw it. And, um, we all remember <laughs> Crystal's name, too, and unfortunately. We... Yeah. And I don't know if I texted her or I called her, but I told her I'm really sick. I was wondering if she can drive me to the emergency room. And she did twice, because the first time we went, they told me it's just a migraine. And they sent me back home. And then Crystal called me the next day asking how I'm doing. And I told her it's just the same. And we went back to the hospital. And they decided I should stay. And it turned out I had some kind of meningitis. It's actually called encephalitis, meningitis, I guess. Okay. And encephalitis is essentially, it's, it's attacking the brain. Yeah. Well, my brain was swollen for whatever was going on. And because of that, I had a, a seizure the first day I was in the hospital, which is kind of the main problem actually now because of the seizure, I'm not allowed to drive. Okay, so. because that's pretty standard fare. When you have a seizure, they do not allow you to drive, to drive for months, for right? For six months. For six months, yeah. you can't drive. Nope. And you have a three-year-old, you're mm -hmm. a single mom, and you work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Crystal, you get this call. <coughs> Why did you get a call? I'm just curious. Katerina actually started coming to Gateway because she and I connected 
very weirdly on Facebook. Okay. And then uh, after a little while, then we invited her to our small group. So she was a part of our small group. And so I think she reached out to me. Because she had been coming to your small group for a while? Two months, three okay. months. Okay. All right. So you get this call from Katerina. It's a text. And she said, text, okay. you know, um, I'm really sick. Can you take me to the emergency room? And I said, of course, I'll be right there. In fact, I had to have her give me her address because I didn't, yeah. I didn't have her address. So I did get over to her, and we took her to the emergency room. We send her home. It's a migraine. And you call her back the next day. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? Because we were worried about her. And so I just wanted to check on her. So I get, I don't remember, an email or a text that says, by the way, Katerina's in the hospital. And I came to visit you a couple of times, Katerina. The first time, it That's scared right. me a little bit. You were a mess. Yeah. I'm sure you don't remember. No. Many, many times I came to see you, Katerina. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I came to see you, someone from your small group was at her bedside. I mean, that's crazy. Okay, so how long was she in the hospital? Yeah. Uh, about a week. All right. So she gets out of the hospital, and what's up? What well, condition is she in? They sent you home pretty early these days, and there's this home care No matter what. They, no yeah. matter what. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make it clear she's by herself. There's nobody. There's a three-year-old in the apartment, so... Anyway, they send her home with a pick line, and she's got to do intravenous, you know, switches out every 12 hours. And they told us in the hospital somebody would be there daily. The nurse says, oh, no, we'll be here next Friday, So, which was a week from when she got out. They told okay. you it would be daily? Yes. Okay. It wasn't. So he said, well, no, she's going to learn to do this. And Katerina, your family's in Germany, mm -hmm. just FYI. Yep. Okay. And so... He said, oh, no, it's simple. She can do this. And I thought, well, we're going to write this stuff down. I'm remembering. She's having a hard time remembering her name at this point. So, you know, finally on And almost literally, she's not remembering anything. 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 I'm not making that part up. Okay. So we were on step 15 when I told the guy, I'm like, for real? <laughs> so we just mustered through. And, I mean, when I say we, it is our entire group. I mean, every person, whether it was a husband staying home with kids so that a wife could come and take her somewhere or help with cleaning and setting up a system for medication, it was everybody. What does mustering through mean? What did y'all do? Well, we made sure we developed a system so that she would be able to remember. The medicine had to be done every 12 hours. She had to take it out when she did one. She had to take the next one out because she couldn't have it. it had to be refrigerated. I didn't even realize this when I heard y'all talking about it. The medicine. That's the... Oh, yeah. It's the pig line. Yeah. And additional pills and all that. Oh, too. yeah. There's, so there, okay. Yeah. A lot of pills. Okay. So just systems so that she would be able to... Remember to remember do Remember to take the medication. And it, it had to be every 12 hours. So, I don't know, for a while, you and I talked at 6 o'clock every morning. Yeah. <laughs> where I said, you up? Can you do this by yourself? And she was like, yeah, okay. And we bought groceries. We came to see her. We did dinner. We did laundry. How was she getting to work? Well, this time she was off work still. She was okay. off work then okay. for an additional yeah. right. probably two or three weeks. Okay. And off work, just trying to get well. That's what you're doing at that point. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't able to do anything. Like, my memory was so bad. Like, I mean, it, it still is like 
for example, last Sunday I was here, and I know I was here, and I don't remember anything from last Sunday. How in the world could you not remember? <laughs> <laughs> that might not be a memory problem. They don't remember either. <laughs> Yeah, but she keeps keep watching the same TV shows over and over again in there. <laughs> Just like the rest of us. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's, I have to write down a lot. And when did you go back to work? Second week of March. Dave and Crystal, second week of March. How does she get to work? What's up? Um, I think for the first week, like, mornings were pretty easy for me to take her. Though it's tricky. She has to be at work by 7.30. Her daughter's school doesn't open until 7.30. So we had to do some juggling there as far as kind of figuring it out. So her daughter has to be dropped off at preschool and right. she has to be taken to right. work. Right. Okay. But she had another friend whose daughter was going to the same school. So okay. she was able to work out something with the school okay. that, that she could take her and they, they take her to work. But basically that left every day she needed to, to be able to come home. And so, at first, she's like, oh, I'm not worried about it. I, we can walk. <laughs> it's only three miles with a three-year-old yeah, on, on Route 50. Walk three miles on Route 50. Yeah, right? Okay. So we said, no, we're going to see what we can do. So certainly our small group had already been doing a lot of getting her to doctor's appointments, taking her to the grocery, and all of those <gasps> things. Because I don't think at this time that we even knew that you could drive. You just couldn't physically do that. Mm -hmm. But we hadn't been told by the neurologist yet. And so we just set up a schedule. We used the sign-up genius. There's been so many people, and this is not limited to our group. We put out a schedule as far as people to sign up and say, yep, I can pick her up at 4, stop by, pick up her daughter, and then take them home to her, their apartment. So the challenges are obvious. I didn't tee y'all up with this, no. but... And we may not be at this stage yet, honestly, but can you see to reward? What have been the rewards in this? Or what could you imagine the reward in this being? Well, certainly, she hadn't been coming to our small group very long, but if you need to get to know your small group members really fast, have a situation like this. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and have some encephalitis, and it'll really build your relationship network. You won't remember it. <laughs> Katarina just said to me this morning as we were driving here she said yeah the driving has been probably the toughest part she said but otherwise we probably wouldn't be spending this much time together and I said well true because there's some quality time that gets ha that happens there but I told her I said think about how many people at Gateway you've met because of this I mean we've had people that well, they'll come up to me and say, oh, can you introduce me to her? Because I'm picking her up on Tuesday, and I don't know what she looks like. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, come on over. In fact, Brittany, we just met this morning. Where'd she go? She disappeared. There she is. Yeah, it said, I had to ask Terry. I said, okay, I don't know her. Can you, you know, I need to make sure. <laughs> so she's picking her up on Monday. So these strangers are coming to and from your house. Yeah. I'm gathering. like, scared them getting in the wrong car. So. <laughs> Thank you. This is what it looks like when Jesus bubbles out of your life. This is what it looks like. This is what people do who have Jesus in their lives. Some of you have already heard me say, but several weeks ago, before that obnoxious announcement Alex did last week about us not going in and visiting the building, and he showed some nefarious character wandering into the building. 
Um, several weeks ago, Diane and I were over, and we were just walking around the property. We were talking and praying, and this couple that lives in Avonlea, and then the one, they, they walk through that area, and they're not churched, but they have taken to walking our property, and they're wondering what it was. It was a really cool conversation. We were telling them what we were building and what the thought of it was, and they were blown away. You know, I never thought of a church doing something like that. I never, literally, I never thought of a church trying to help the community like that. That's awesome. When you get this thing up, we'd like to come over and visit. They're going to come. And our lives and our hearts and our minds have to be open to people in need. I envision five years from now, three crisis pregnancies, women who might otherwise be getting an abortion, but instead they're living with one of you, and you're helping them through this. You're having dinner with them. They're part of your family, and you're bringing that child into the world. I envision five older couples in this church having a young couple come and live in your basement for two years so they can save the money to be able to afford a home in Dulles South or in Ashburn. Because they can't otherwise, but they can if we give them a launching pad. I envision businesses starting out of Gateway, businesses that are run effectively and run well, but they're run in such a way that they're designed to help the under-resourced. I envision some of you Young couples, same reason, moving in together, sharing an apartment together, sharing resources together for three years so you can both save enough money to be able to buy a home in this area and settle down. I envision an entire community of people dedicated to meeting needs, real need that's right in front of us. And I see a group of people who live and work and do life in the, one of the wealthiest counties in America, releasing vast amounts of resources to people who are under-resourced around the world. I see us in five locations the way we are right now with Ina in the Dominican Republic building a community. In fact, five years from now, I see a school in Ina's village. And her vision is it will be the best school in the Dominican Republic. And I'd like to see five of those five years from now. In India, why not? In Africa, why not? God has begun to bring us some folks who are here from Africa. Why don't we find a way to reinvest? Well, let's go to the flip side and let's end. All of that, maybe the last two weeks, is to set this up. I was reading, I don't remember how this happened, but, oh yeah, I do remember. So I'm not a Twitter person. I don't even know why I have Twitter on my phone, but I honestly don't know how it works. But occasionally, I don't know how I have followed or unfollowed anybody I'm following or not following, or anybody's following me. But anyway, occasionally just something will pop up on my little Twitter, you know, uh, and I don't know why, I don't get notifications for everyone I follow, but for certain people I follow, I get notifications. This, occasionally this number will pop up. I follow the Celtics, for the Boston Celtics, for some reason, so anytime the Celtics tweet, I get a little, I go read it. And I also follow a pastor called John Piper, and for some reason, he's one of my notifications. So whenever he tweets something, 
you know, my little number. So honestly, the only reason I ever go to Twitter is to make the number disappear. And I'll just click on the notifications. It's usually pointless, and then I, it takes me about 19 seconds, and I don't remember it. Several weeks ago, John Piper tweeted something, and I went to it to get rid of the number, and I looked at it. It was from his blog. It's called Desiring God. And I looked at it, and the first sentence grabbed my heart. So there's a link. I clicked on the link, and it gave me a blog post from John Piper. What it does is, I think this blog post gives us the flip side. And what I mean by the flip side is, this blog post, I think, describes eloquently the real challenge for us, the real inhibitor, the real the block. This may, more than anything I've ever read, put its finger on what inhibits our capacity to open our lives to people in need, us, uniquely, as suburban Americans. So I'm going to read you, it's three long paragraphs, and I've actually got it on the screen for those of you who need to see while you're also listening. I want to read you these three paragraphs from John Piper's blog post to end today to give us a, what really might be the, the governor, what might be the, the thing that stops our lives from being able to just live out loud, being open to people in need. So uh, listen to what uh, Piper says now, if you would. The Christian church in America suffers from about 350 years of dominance and prosperity. That's the sentence that grabbed my attention. The Christian church in America suffers from about 350 years of dominance and prosperity. What I mean by dominance, Piper says, is that in most of American history, being Christian has been viewed by the wider culture as normal, good, and patriotic, culturally acceptable, and even beneficial. What I mean by prosperity is that being Christian has generally resulted in things going well for us American Christians. Since the Christian ethos has been dominant, it has also been a pathway to success. And what I mean by suffering, that we are suffering from 350 years of dominance and prosperity, is that this has deeply ingrained in us a massively unbiblical mindset. Namely, a mindset of at-homeness in this world and in this age. This has not been good for us. We are suffering from it, prosperous though we be. We have been dominant. And we have been prosperous, and therefore, we have come to feel at home in this world and have developed a deeply ingrained assumption that things should go well for us and that this is our world and our age, that being a good Christian and being well thought of must go together and that poverty and sickness and suffering and death is the worst thing that can happen in a land of Christian wealth and health and ease and upbeat success-oriented vitality. And so, we have developed a form of Christianity to support this ingrained expectation of acceptance and comfort, security, and prosperity. This form of Christianity begins by focusing on our felt needs, not our eternal ones that we may not even be aware of. And it makes its appeal to us on the basis that Christianity will make life a lot better for us in this world. Our way of doing Christianity 
makes its appeal to us on the basis that Christianity will make life a lot better for us in this world. It has not been a call to suffer as an alien, but it has been a call to prosper as a respected citizen and to be very indignant and angry if someone reveals our Christianity as a liability and not an asset. God has blessed us so that we would be a blessing to others. Think about the orbit of your prayer life. How much of your prayer life, when you're calling out in prayer, when you're crying in prayer, when you're doing battle in prayer, think about how much of it is focused on your life being better. God has blessed us so that we would be a blessing to others in generosity, in giving our time and energy and money. God has blessed us to offer us advantages in being able to share his love and to share the gospel, the good news of God's freedom with others. The opposite is also true. This blessing can become a a literal curse for us. Let's not allow the blessing to be a curse by becoming entitled, by forgetting our alienness, and by becoming too comfortable in this culture. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you in stillness and in quiet. We bear our hearts before you. We lay them open. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you would train us to open our hearts and open our minds and open our lives to people in need, that we would be your hands and your feet, that we would see with your eyes. Lord, seal these lessons. Thank you so much for what you are already doing to use many of us. We pray, Lord, that you will multiply that here. God, we pray that we would be known by our love. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray, and all God's people said, thank you so much for coming. Go in peace and open your lives to people in need.